hearts abandoned. There are not a lot of things that we just abandon and do without any inhibitions, but that's one thing that we're called to do. If you can bring me down just, just a bit. There we go. Is that better? Can you hear me still? By the way, if I'm ever on here and you can't hear, just raise your hand and go like this, okay? Just, okay. There was an 18-year-old boy whom we'll call Michael. Michael was a senior in high school preparing to graduate. He had been a rebel, disregarding his father's guidance and breaking all the rules. He had been on the edge of trouble all through high school. Now he's getting ready to graduate. Can you pull me down just a bit, get some ring? More than anything in the world, Michael wanted a new car. It had been his dream to get a new car for graduation, and many of his friends had already received their car. His car, he felt, was going to be the ticket to his freedom. On graduation day, his family held a big celebration, and as the, the party concluded, all the guests were gone, and just Michael and his father were left in the room. Michael's father was a, a fine Christian man and was deeply concerned about the direction his son was heading. He brought out a wrapped package for Michael and lovingly handed it to him and said, this is your graduation gift. Congratulations. Michael opened the package and then the box. Inside was a Bible. He was so disappointed, so angry, so disgusted that he crammed the Bible back into the box, threw it on the floor, and stomped out of the room. Then he gathered a few things, and he left his home, never to return. Michael saw his father only occasionally over the next 20 years, and one day he received the news that his father had passed away. He returned home for the memorial service. After the service, he went to his parents' house and began to go through some of his father's effects. And there he saw it, the Bible, his graduation gift still in the box. Michael sat down and opened the box. This time when he removed the Bible, he opened the front cover. Inside the cover were these words, congratulations on your graduation. I love you. And underneath the words was a set of car keys. His graduation gift rejected 20 years before. Sometimes we view God, our father, as Michael viewed his father, someone who's trying to push religion down your throat. A father up there somewhere that says, find out what they're doing for fun and make them stop. As someone who is trying to rob us of freedom and fun. When in reality, our Heavenly Father actually loves us a great deal and wants to bless us. He wants to give us his best. He wants to give us his blessings. And some of us, like Michael, have left the presence of God at some point in our lives. And we've walked away walked out on God in anger, seeking freedom and wanting independence. And in so doing, we leave our most precious gifts behind. Not a Bible, not a new car, but 
a relationship with God, our Father. This is the path of independence, a, a path of rebellion. And there seem to be a lot of people on this path saying, God, leave me alone. I want to run my own life. I know better. I'm going to make my own choices. God offers us a gift, and we reject it. It's an all-too-common circumstance, an all-too-common human trait, unfortunately. The question, the choice is, is it my way or God's way? But what if we made the wrong choice at some point in time? Well, God, God is a God of love, and in his love, God is also a God of second chances. Second chances. There was a group of people in the first century that learned this lesson the hard way. Can you pull me down? Just a little, I'm just getting some ringing. Just a little bit less. Okay. They learned the lesson the hard way. God offered them a gift, and they said, no. And they took matters into their own hands. They went their own way. And they lost out big time. But fortunately, they got a second chance. They got a second chance. And I want us to read about it today as we look at second chances. Second chances. We're going to look at Acts 3. Acts, the third chapter, where we, we started this book a few weeks ago. Acts 3. Eleven to twenty-one. We're going to read verses eleven to twenty-one. While the beggar had held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, "Men of Israel, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we made this man walk?" The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is in Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has given this complete healing to him, as you can see. Now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders, but this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Christ would suffer. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord and that he may send his Christ, who has been appointed to you, even Jesus. He must remain in heaven until the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. We join this story where we left it last week. Peter and John healing a man who had been lame from birth by faith in Jesus. Now we look at the people's response in Peter's second sermon, his second sermon. Like Michael in our introduction, these people, the Israelites, had made a big mistake, big mistake. And Peter tells them in no uncertain terms, 
exactly what they did. He said, they, he said, you handed him over to be killed. You disowned him before Pilate. You disowned the Holy and Righteous One. You killed the author of life. This is what you did, but I am offering you a path of restoration and blessing. He said, I'm offering you a second chance, a way out, a way back. If we're going to look at this, I want us to look at the steps to second chance. Some of us have experienced in the past. Some of us may have to experience this in the future. Steps to second chance. Step one is recognition of responsibility. Recognition of responsibility. I am responsible. There was a, a sense of group responsibility and there was individual responsibility. What were they responsible for? What, what, are, these, what are these people done? First of all, letter A, they rejected Jesus. They rejected Jesus. Twice Peter says they disowned him. He says Jesus came to his own and his own didn't receive him. The Jews were looking for a Messiah, a Savior, a Deliverer, and he didn't fit their preconceived notion of what their Messiah was supposed to be. And so Jesus came to them and they rejected him. Secondly, they replaced Jesus. They replaced Jesus. It says they asked that a murderer be released to you. What does that mean? When we study the account of the events leading up to Jesus' death, we find Pilate the Roman government official trying to release Jesus because he found him innocent. He said, this guy's innocent. He hasn't done anything. But every year, Pilate held what was called the People's Choice Awards. Well, it wasn't called the People's Choice Awards, but that's what it was. People's Choice Awards. He had a custom of releasing a prisoner of the people's choice once a year. And so he gave him that choice. And they, instead of choosing to release Jesus, they chose to release Barabbas, a notorious murderer. He was the people's choice to be set free instead of Jesus. They replaced Jesus with Barabbas. Therefore, Jesus was executed. And the third area of responsibility that he said, this is what you did. They killed Jesus, killed Jesus. Peter says, you killed the author of life. You killed God. They had done this terrible deed. And surprisingly, Peter said, this was part of God's plan. Now, we'll talk more about that later. Peter calls on them as he confronts them to recognize their responsibility and own up to it. That was then. What about now? Today, we need to recognize our responsibility, our culpability, and where we are guilty. How is that? First of all, rejecting Jesus. Have we ever rejected Jesus? Maybe we accept intellectually that Jesus was the Messiah, the Son of God, but is he really our Messiah? Is he our Lord? Is he our leader? Do we accept his Messiahship and his Lordship in title, but reject his leadership in practical reality in our lives? Michael, in, in our introduction, never disowned his father or claimed he was not his father, he would acknowledge his relationship with the father. He just rejected his father's leadership in his life, rejected his relationship. And we say, Jesus is Lord, yes, but let me run my own life, thank you. I want to be in charge. We may follow the leadership of Jesus as long as it's convenient, as long as it suits my purposes, it's politically correct, acceptable, easy, but we reject Jesus in priorities or 
thoughts or time or goals? Is God to be found anywhere in that priority of our lives? Take marriage, for instance. Is Jesus the Lord of your marriage? Or does selfishness rule the day? If we don't wrestle with selfishness in your marriage, then you're not human, okay? Just saying that. Husbands, are you living with your life in an understanding way? But pastor, no one understands women. I, I, I know, that's true. Okay. Are you loving her as Christ loves the church? Selflessly, is, is Jesus the Lord of your marriage? Wives, do you submit to your husband as to the Lord? Treat him with respect, meaning speaking well of him to all people. Do you lift him up, elevate, speak the best of him? Husbands, if we love our wives as Jesus loved the church, she will have no troubles in submission and respect. Because we in love are looking out for the best always. Do we reject Jesus in any areas of our lives? What does God say about that? Is there any area in your life, just ask God, is there any area in my life that I resist your leadership? If there's not, you're not human either, okay? There are always areas in our life that we resist and reject that leadership. Or have we replaced Jesus? Replaced Jesus. Is there anything in our life that is more important than Jesus Christ? Interesting thing about the Bible, it talks about having desires or actions, and it's called a mistress. It's called spiritual adultery. If we put anything in front of Jesus, it's called spiritual adultery. Loving something or someone in the place of God. The third recognition of responsibility was that the Jews killed Jesus. Killed Jesus. Now, certainly, I don't have to take responsibility for that, too. I wasn't there, right? I, I have a present alibi. Well, the fact is, Jesus died for your sins and my sins, too. It's as if I drove the nails. It's as if we hung the cross up. The only difference between the Jews then and us today is that we don't act in ignorance. Peter said to them, I know you acted in ignorance. You thought you were doing the right thing. We know in spite of all that, still, God wants to bless you. God wants what is best for you. Just like the father gave Michael a Bible and keys to a brand new car, God wants to bless you and me. And I imagine all those years the father left those keys in the Bible, hoping and praying that Michael would return someday and accept the gift. Well, the first step in second chance is recognition of responsibility, saying I messed up. The second one is repentance for our sins, repentance. Peter calls the Jews, calls us to repentance. What, is, what does that mean exactly? First of all, it means a change of mind. This happens in our mind. It's the intellect. Repentance begins in the mind, our intellect. We recognize the problem and make a conscious decision in our mind to change direction. Our mind processes information. We think about it. We process it. We come to the conclusion that we need to repent. Second, there's a change of heart. The heart has to do with affections and attitudes. There's a turning of our affections, our desires, and loves and attitudes. This part of repentance is described as sorrow or true sorrow. 
And this, this could be the emotional side of repentance. Now, when you made your children stop fighting and told them, say you're sorry, say you're sorry, could you tell if they meant it? Anybody tell if they meant it? I could tell if they meant it. I, I could always tell. Why? I could tell by sorrow. Usually there was, there was sorrow or tears or something. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Some emotion indicated that there was something inside the heart that was changing. That was a change of heart. Then there's a change of will. These are choices or decisions we make. Moving from my way to God's way. My will to God's will. And in repentance, there always has to be a change in behavior. Behavior. Making different choices. <clears throat> repentance has to be more than just the mind and the intellect more than just the heart and the emotion, it also must be in the realm of the will or different direction. 180 degrees of change, a U-turn, totally different. Some people are sorry and they repent, but they never change direction. We can be sorry all we want, but if we don't turn and change direction, it's not true repentance. True sorrow leads to a change of will, a change of direction, and repent and turn to God. Verse 19, it says, repent and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. What does it mean, wiped out? Wiped out. How many of you have ever lost data on your computer or phone? Ever, ever lost data? Okay. And was it retrievable or not? Okay. Sometimes it is, sometimes it's not. It's like, it's gone forever in cyberspace somewhere. Or maybe your computer crashed and you lost something. They, they got erased. Wiped out, when it says your sins are wiped out, it means they are erased. But, but God doesn't have a retrieval system somehow that we try to put into our computer systems. When he, it says your, your sins are wiped out, it's irretrievable. Okay? So it says repent and he will forgive you and wipe out that sin. If you say, God, remember that, he'll say, my forgiveness is perfect. I don't remember that. That's forgiveness. That's true forgiveness. He erases the data. God forgets them. When we truly repent, we are in reality no longer guilty. We have a new start, a new path, new, new path of good, path of blessing. We actually have a real second chance. A real second chance. Now, sometimes we like to recover some of that old data of our guilt. Don't. Remember, God doesn't remember it. You shouldn't either. Okay? No one but God can really forgive sins and wipe them out. And Peter tells these people, <clears throat> and Peter tells us, you've got a second chance. You blew it. God wants to make it right. God wants to bless you to do good for you. Recognize responsibility. Repent. And the third step towards second chance are the results. What happens when we do that? Refreshment. Refreshment. Verse 19 says, repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. See, God is for us. He's not against us. God wants to bless us, not curse us. Verse 26 says, when God raised up his servant, Jesus, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. 
God sent Jesus first to bless us. How? By turning us from our wicked ways. Each of us as individuals. So the first step in blessing, part of the second chance, is to turn us from our wicked ways. How does that work? Doesn't God spoil our fun when he does that? When we get married, we take vows for faithfulness, love, and commitment. Then if one in the marriage decides to have an affair, sin or adultery, does anyone know of a case where an affair produced love, harmony, joy, peace, or blessing? Anything good come out of that? No, of course not. Sin does not bring blessing. Sin brings pain and suffering. When we turn from sin and live righteously, the result is blessing. As I said earlier, everybody thinks God's up there trying to spoil our fun and say, find out what they're doing for fun and make them stop. But he draws boundaries. Those boundaries are called God's top ten or ten commandments. We, we looked at that last fall. It's not earned. It's a result of. These are relational guidelines that have followed bring blessing. If we step outside of those boundaries and ignore the signposts, then blessing is replaced by pain and suffering. And I think we can all attest to times that we've all stepped outside of the signposts. How, how many of you have been to Yellowstone National Park? Anybody at Yellowstone National Park? I went there as a kid, and I'll never forget. The, the, the beautiful mountain scenery, the lakes, there are plenty of bears roaming around. They cross the road. I mean, it was, it was a little crazy. But the, the main attraction was Old Faithful. Everybody seen Old Faithful that's been there? Okay, Old Faithful. Old Faithful is a geyser that goes off with predictable regularity and sprays super hot water into the air. And I, one of the things I remember very distinctly as a kid going to visit Old Faithful, all around the site there were signs, danger, stay away, do not get close. They told us to stay out of the hot springs. Why? To spoil a 10-year-old's fun? No, to protect a 10-year-old's life, to spare him the pain. Well, the Bible, the Word of God, also gives us signposts, boundaries, and we follow them and experience blessing. They turn us away from destructive, self-destructive behavior. God sent Jesus to bless us. How? First, turning to each of us from our wicked ways, and the results are refreshment, times of refreshing. I don't know what comes to your mind when I say refreshment. One of the biggest contrasts of refreshment I remember is when I worked one summer at Glacier National Park and did a 26-mile hike one day, and it was 90-degree weather. And we came down off of that, and one of the lakes on the way down was, came off the glacier. It was ice cold, barely, barely liquid. And I, I'll never forget going from that heat into the lake. Now, I just about lost consciousness, but it was very refreshing. <laughs> refreshing, thinking of the contrast of, of refreshing. It's like going on vacation, you wake up in the morning and you go out on the deck and there's a view of a beautiful lake and mountains and you enjoy the morning sun and sip orange juice or coffee or whatever you do for breakfast. It's just refreshing. God wants to refresh us. God wants to bless you, refresh you. 
And refreshment doesn't come from anywhere else. It can only come from God through Jesus. And our physical refreshment pales in comparison to the refreshment that God wants to give us. Why are we so reluctant to receive that? Sometimes we just are reluctant. In John 4, 13 to 14, John speaking to the woman at the well says, Everyone who drinks this water, <clears throat> excuse me, will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will be a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Refreshment, so fulfilling. We've talked about being filled with the Holy Spirit, soaked with God. He so filled us that we are refreshed, and it just overflows to people around us. So we got recognition, repentance, and refreshment. The fourth step of the second chance is restoration, restoration. Peter speaks of Jesus. He said he must remain in heaven until the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. Question, has life robbed you ever? Has life ever robbed you of something good? God wants to restore far greater than he wants to take it. What does he want to restore to us? There's a few things that are listed here. First of all, the authority and power to the church. We are to be what the New Testament church was intended to be. Power-filled, dynamic, power to effect change. The power to change and transform lives. Romans 1.16 says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to change a man's life. Second, unity and spiritual power in the home. In the home. The family, the basic unit of our, of our society. If you fracture the family, you fracture society. God wants to bless your family, unite your family, put God first. Third, God wants to restore intimacy with God. When we recognize and we repent of the things between us and God, then we can develop our relationship with God open and unhindered. And finally, final part that God wants to restore to the church and to you, all of us, our mission to bless all the peoples of the earth. Our mission to bless all the people of the earth. In verse 25, it says, You are our heirs of the prophets and the covenant God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, Through your offspring, all peoples on earth will be blessed. God wanted the Jews to repent, be restored, so he could bless them in order to bless others. See, the path of blessing, this path of second chance, doesn't end with us. Most of us have been recipients of that second chance and establish and reestablish our relationship with God on a daily basis. <clears throat> but there are people that don't know or don't have that opportunity. The path of blessing does not end at our church. The path of blessing, second chance, does not end at our homes. The path of blessing, this second chance, is to be extended outward to everyone, everywhere. Blessed in order to bless. There's a short phrase, four parts to it. Talks about the blessing. To us, in us, through us, to them. To us, in us, through us, to them. We are the church. And we are the church in dispersion. We're spread out all throughout the community during the week. And God wants 
to bless us, in us, through us, to them. It's our mission. Michael, in our story today, had great regrets. He waited over 20 years to return to his father. 20 years to discover how much his father loved him. How much he wanted, how badly he wanted to bless him. God, your father, loves you and wants desperately to bless you. It's available today. Second chances. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you took people who had rejected you and sinned against you. They actually had been responsible for your death as as we have been. And I just pray, Lord, that you would give us that new vision of what you want to do to us, in us, through us, to them. And I pray, Lord Jesus, you would continue to work in our lives and that we would be able to spread the news of second chances to those that haven't taken advantage of that. In Jesus' name, amen.